Good afternoon, everyone. In Revelation 20 and verse 15, we're told that anyone who is not found written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. What is this book of life? When and how can one's name be written in it? And what can you do to make sure that your name is there? That's what I want to discuss in today's sermon, the book of life. The fact is, God wants everyone to have salvation. He wants everyone to have salvation. Jesus, we're told in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 6, 1 Timothy 2 and verse 6, gave his life as a ransom for all. A ransom for all, not just some, but for all. And in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4, we read that God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Since God's desire is for all men, all human beings to be granted salvation means that he has made provision for that opportunity to be granted to all people. And it is an opportunity to be granted to all people, an opportunity for salvation. It doesn't mean that all will be saved in the end, but that everyone will have the opportunity to meet God's requirements for salvation. Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It is God's will. It's his desire that all come to repentance. And he has made provision to make that uh, as likely as possible. But, of course, the individual has the final say in whether he is, will repent or not. We're made free moral agents. To repent in this context means to turn to God in faith, to turn from sin, to quit disobeying God's commandments, to humble oneself before God, to seek His forgiveness and favor and yield to Him. It means to have a change of mind and heart that is surrendered to God and His will as expressed in His Word instead of seeking one's own will in opposition to God's Word. That's what repentance is. God offered eternal life to the first pair of humans, Adam and Eve. He offered them eternal life, but they rejected it. In Genesis 2 and verse 7, Genesis 2 and verse 7, it says, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree to grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then going on in Genesis 2 with verse 15, Genesis 2 and verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded... the man saying of every tree of the garden you may freely eat and the Hebrew actually is eating you shall eat it's a command it was a command to eat of the trees of the garden but he said of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die not meaning that he would die in that very day but that he would incur the death penalty for disobeying God's word in that regard. The Hebrew root for the word translated knowledge here includes the meaning of designation. 
not just to know what's good and evil, but to designate, to decide what is good and evil. And so the implication is that mankind was forbidden from designating or determining for himself what is good and what is evil, or in other words, becoming his own lawgiver in place of God. Scripture tells us in James 4 and verse 12, James 4 and verse 12, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. There is one lawgiver, and that one lawgiver is God. He did not give that prerogative to Adam and Eve. He has not given that prerogative to other humans who have taken it upon themselves to determine what is right and what is wrong apart from the law of God. And yet that's the way mankind has gone about living for 6,000 years, deciding for themselves what's right and wrong in their own eyes. When Eve told Satan, the tempter, the adversary that God had told her, along with Adam, that they would die if they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we read in Genesis 3 and verse 4, Genesis 3 and verse 4, that the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, they would become their own gods. They would be making their own rules and they did not need to listen to their creator with Satan's message and they did not need God to have eternal life because they would not die. Nevertheless, when they sinned by disobeying God, they earned the death penalty as God had warned. And so we're told in Genesis 3 and verse 17, Genesis 3 and verse 17, then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake, in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So he was sentenced to die. And then his body would decay and he would return to the ground from which he was taken. So we read in Romans 5, verse 12, Romans 5 and verse 12, Therefore, through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Death entered the world, and death spread to all men because all sinned. However, had Adam and Eve obeyed God and eaten of the tree of life, they would have been given the Holy Spirit and the gift of eternal life. But their sinful condition after they had disobeyed God cut them off from the gift of eternal life and from the presence of God. And so we read in Genesis 3 and verse 22, Genesis 3 and verse 22, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And as, as I mentioned earlier, that means to determine for himself what is good and evil. He made himself his own lawgiver and rejected God's laws. And so God said, Now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life, and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So the upshot of that is to be permitted to remain in God's presence requires obedience to his commandments. 
If we want to be in God's presence, we must learn to obey His commandments. As we read in Revelation 22 and verse 14, Revelation 22 and verse 14, Blessed are those who do His commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. The city here is the new Jerusalem where God dwells. And says, blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have right to the tree of life and enter through the gates into the city. To be granted the gift of eternal life requires overcoming sin. It requires overcoming sin. In Revelation 2 and verse 7, Revelation 2 and verse 7, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. But notice who is given that privilege? It is those who overcome, who overcome temptation to sin, who overcome deception, who overcome their own carnal inclinations. The tree of life and the book of life are linked. When one partakes of the tree of life, which represents repentance, obedience to God's commandments and overcoming, then his name is written in the book of life. In speaking of the new Jerusalem, where God the Father and Jesus Christ will dwell with those who have been granted eternal life in God's kingdom, we read in Revelation 21 and verse 27, Revelation 21 and verse 27, but there shall by no means enter it. That is the, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life will be there to share eternity with God. Up to now, up to this present time, only a relative few among the vast multitudes of mankind have had their names written in the book of life. The true church of God is made up of those whose names are enrolled in that book of life, which is maintained in heaven by God. In the book of Hebrews, the author, whom I believe to be the Apostle Paul, compares our appearing before the invisible God to enter into the new covenant relationship with him to the Israelites appearing before God when the old covenant was enacted at Mount Sinai. And so we read in Hebrews 12, verse 18, Hebrews 12, verse 18, for you have been have not come to the mountain. This is written to the church. You have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. He's talking about Mount Sinai when God appeared to give the Israelites his covenant, to enter into that covenant relationship with them. It goes on to say of this event that it was so terrifying that the sight was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. We haven't come to that mountain, as Paul writes, but going on in verse 22, you have come to, the, to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. Who are registered in heaven. That's where the names of those who are part of the true church of God 
That's where the, the, the roll book, the membership book, is kept. It's not kept in some church building on earth. It's kept in heaven. God knows who's, who's, who are His. And so we have come to appear before the General Assembly and Church of the Firstborn who are registered in heaven to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, how much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven? His voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, and the things which cannot be shaken, or that the things that, that which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with fear and godly, uh, with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. So, those whose names are written in that book of life are those who are of the church whose names are registered in heaven. Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, in Philippi and Philippians 4 and verse 3, he wrote, I urge you also, true companion, and it's not totally clear exactly who he was addressing in, in the, those terms, uh, but uh, anyway... He said, Help those women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. So we see that the it's the names of the people in the church there that were written in the book of life. And as I said, only a few names, relatively speaking, are thus far enrolled. And the Apostle John wrote in 1 John 5, verse 19, 1 John 5, 19, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So he contrasts those who are of God, the church of God, with the world, the whole world that lies under the sway of the wicked one. In other words, the vast majority of the people on the earth are under the sway of the wicked one or Satan the devil. The church whose names are registered in heaven, whose names are in the book of life, is called a little flock. A little flock. As we read in Luke 12, verse 32, Luke 12, verse 32, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now Israel, the physical people of Israel, were chosen to be a peculiar people, a holy nation before God. But they failed in their calling. Most of them were not faithful to God. Most were never converted. Most did not truly seek God. And so they were rejected and they were ultimately sent into a national captivity. But among them was a remnant. It was only a remnant, a relatively small number who were in a right relationship with God. And so we read in Romans 11 and verse 5, Romans 11 and verse 5, even so then at this present time, he's speaking of Israel, even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. There is a remnant according to the election of grace. It goes on, verse 7 of Romans 5, to say, What then? 
Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. The rest, the vast majority of the people of Israel were spiritually blind. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13, Matthew 7 and verse 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, but narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. There are few who find it. And so in this age, only a few, as the Bible confirms, have found or are finding the way to life. And this goes not only for the peoples of the physical tribes of Israel, most of whom don't even know their own genealogy and national identity. They don't know who they are, actually, where they came from. But it also goes for the Gentile nations. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, which was predominantly made up of Gentiles, that before their conversion, they were, as it says in Ephesians 2 and verse 12, before their conversion, they were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And in effect, that sums up the condition of the entire human race down through history, with the exception of only a relatively small number. As Satan deceived Adam and Eve, he has deceived the vast bulk of mankind. In Revelation 12, verse 9, Satan is called a great dragon. And he is referred to as that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He has deceived the whole world. He uses every trick and lie possible to deceive human beings, including the tool of false religious teachings. Jesus warned in Matthew 24 and verse 4, Matthew 4 and verse 4, 24 and verse 4, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Just because somebody uses the name of Christ doesn't mean that he's telling you the truth. Yes, they would come in the name of Jesus Christ, and yet they would be deceiving their followers. And it doesn't mean that they would necessarily come claiming that they themselves are Christ, as many people think this is what this says, but that's not really what it means. It means that they would come claiming to represent Christ, using his name. As happened with deceivers even in the first century apostolic era of the church, the apostle Paul warned in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 3, that there were false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers, Satan's ministers, also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Other New Testament writers warned of those who would come in, in among the church to lead into error those claiming to be Christ's disciples. As we read in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, 2 Peter 2 and verse 1, but there were also false prophets among the people, people of Israel is what he's talking about, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many 
will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. So the subversion of the church of God was prophesied in advance. And history records how Christianity was subverted over a period of several centuries and transformed into something in many ways diametrically opposite to what the Bible teaches. The Sabbath as a weekly day of rest and congregational worship was replaced by Sunday. Passover was abandoned in favor of what came to be called Easter, the name of a pagan goddess. And other biblical holy days were abandoned and in their place were adopted idolatrous customs from pagan religions. And these are just some of the ways, some of the more obvious ways in which what was billed as Christianity had become corrupted. But for a relatively small remnant, the whole world is under the sway of Satan the devil because he is the God of this world. The gospel, the true message of the Bible, is veiled, hidden to the understanding of most of mankind because of Satan's deceptions. So we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 1, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced to the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God, should shine on them. The minds of most of mankind, to the minds of most of mankind, the gospel message is, the true gospel message is veiled. It is a mystery. It is something they don't really understand. The Bible speaks of a series of great Gentile empires having great power and worldwide influence. Collectively, they are called in the book of Revelation a beast. And so we read in Revelation 13 and verse 1, <clears throat> Revelation 13 and verse 1, I stood on the sand of the sea. Now, a sea or great waters is sometimes used in the Bible of masses of humanity, as it is here. This is symbolic. Most of the language in Revelation is symbolic, although it has very real meaning, but it is put in, in terms of symbols, which the Bible itself generally interprets, if you read it carefully. But John said he was standing on the sand of the sea in this vision, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, the sea being the masses of humanity, that inhabit the world, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads blas a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon game gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. Now the dragon here is Satan. And it gives to this beast his power, his throne, and great authority. That's where the, the power of this beast is uh, originates, is in Satan. He is in control. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. 
Then he opened his mouth and in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, or might be better translated, give homage to him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. Now notice the whole world is enthralled with this beast, except those whose names are written in the book of life. So what's this speaking of? It is speaking of a series of Gentile empires with worldwide influence. And when it says the, the, the one of the heads was mortally wounded and then it was healed, this is speaking of the period following the Justinian restoration of the Roman Empire, which was the last of a series of uh, beasts that are mentioned in the book of Daniel. And the the Roman Empire was uh, was uh, collapsed in uh, 456 BC I believe it was 457 whichever year it was but uh, later it was restored under Justinian under the influence of the papacy And following that, there were a succession of so-called Holy Roman Emperors or kingdoms under the influence of the papacy, which lasted for 1,260 years, which in uh, the, on the principle of a day for a year is 42 months. 42 months of prophetic years is 1,260 years. And so from the Restoration under Justinian 554 to the final defeat of Napoleon's empire, which spelled the end of this series of Holy Roman Empires, which occurred in 1814, there were 1,260 years. And during that period, the Beast Empire was the dominant power on the earth, and it ruled much of the world. In fact, at one point, the Pope divided the world, divided the globe between Spain and Portugal, kingdoms that were under his Influence, And those Christians who did not submit to the doctrines of the Roman church were persecuted. Thousands, tens of thousands, perhaps millions of them were killed. Certainly millions were killed in the uh, persecutions that occurred during the Middle Ages under the authority of the Roman church. And we're told that all the earth will give homage to the beast in one way or another, as they have. The only exception would be those names, those whose names are, are written in the book of life. Because they would reject that system of worship and that political system. Now, this beast empire that is written about here in the book of Revelation is currently dormant. But the Bible prophesies a final resurrection of the beast empire. And Revelation 17 describes a succession of seven kingdoms under the influence of a great false church. And these kingdoms correspond to the last seven of the ten horns of Revelation 13 verse 1. In Revelation 17 and verse 7, Revelation 17 and verse 7, it says, The angel said to me, Why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman. The woman being a church, as a church is often in Scripture referred to symbolically as a woman. And of the beast that carries her, 
which has seven heads and the ten horns, the beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to, to perdition. As I said, this beast is not now. It is dormant. But it will ascend out of the bottomless pit, out of the abyss, and go into perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel. Those who dwell on the earth will marvel when this occurs, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. This is going to be something that will be breathtaking to the vast majority of people on the earth. Here's the mind which has wisdom, the seven heads or seven mountains on which the woman sits. And mountains are often in, in prophecy representative of kingdoms. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue for a short time. And this prophecy was actually understood and explained during the era of the Second World War when the six of these resurrections of the Holy Roman Empire, so to speak, was, uh, it was in existence. Under the Rome, in the form of the Rome-Berlin axis, But the final one, the seventh of these kingdoms has not yet appeared. But it says when he comes, the seventh of these kingdoms or kings, he must continue a short time. Now let's go back to verse 8. It says that when this beast is Restored, says those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Now this, the way this is phrased could be problematic for some where it says that the beast is resuscitated and as that happens, all the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Some may and some have in fact believed that the names in this book of life have been there from the foundation of the world. In other words, they believe in the doctrine of predestination, as it's called, the idea that everyone's ultimate fate was decided and determined from the very beginning. You can find that idea in the Geneva Commentary and no doubt other sources as well. Commonly called the doctrine of predestination. But that is, in fact, a false teaching. The Greek word for from the foundation in this verse, Revelation 17, verse 8, the Greek words are apa. Catabolis, but catabolis, excuse me, apocatabolis. The word apo is a present uh, is a preposition that has can have any of several meanings, depending on the context. Among its meanings could be from, as it's translated in the New King James. In this verse, but it also could be could mean after or since. The New American Standard Version tra translates these same words since the foundation. These same Greek words are translated since the foundation in the New American Standard Version where they appear in Matthew 13, verse 35, Luke 11, verse 50, and Hebrews 9, and verse 26. The New King James Version and the King, uh, and the, uh, King James Version 
version translates the same words since the foundation in Hebrews 9 and verse 26. Now Luke 11 and verse 50, where this, this, this same phrase is used, epikatabales, Luke 11 and verse 50 says that the blood of all the false prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. The blood of all the prophets slain or shed, uh, excuse me, from the foundation of the world. Now the blood of the prophets was shed at various times during the period from the foundation of the world to the time Jesus spoke these words. So there were various times that this occurred. In Hebrews 9, verse 26, the context discusses the fact that the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ is sufficient for all time. Otherwise, as it says in Hebrews 9, verse 26, then he would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. It's the exact same expression translated from the foundation of the world in Revelation 17, verse 8. He would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. Now, the names of those whose names are written in the book of life are written there under certain circumstances and conditions. And those conditions are upon repentance, baptism, and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. We read in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 21, Ezekiel 18, verse 21, if a wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed, keeps all my statutes and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. He shall live. In other words, he's granted salvation. His name is written in the book of life. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him because of the righteousness uh, which he has done, he shall live. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live. When one turns from his ways, that's when he gains a claim on the gift of eternal life. Ezekiel 18, verse 30 Ezekiel 18, verse 30, Repent and turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. In other words, become converted. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord. Therefore, turn or repent and live. So the key to salvation, the key to eternal life is repentance. Peter said in Acts 2 and verse 38, Acts 2 and verse 38, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. To be saved requires repentance. Requires baptism, requires receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
And so individual names have been written in the book of life at appropriate times as individuals have responded in a positive way to the calling of God from or since the foundation of the world. Some here and some there from the very beginning have responded to God's calling, to God's word, to his message. And those people have been granted salvation. They have had their names written in the book of life. And so the wording in Revelation 17 verse 8 does not mean that their names were already written in the book of life at the time of the foundation of the world, but it means their names have been written there since, at some time since the foundation of the world or since the beginning of this age of mankind. What Revelation 13 and 17 tell us is that the whole world will be influenced and deceived by the false system des described there, except, except for those whose names are written in the book of life. Now, why would, why would uh, they not be deceived? They will not be deceived because they will recognize that system for what it is. They are not blind to the truth, but, and, but instead of being a part of that system, they will be separate from it and they will be persecuted as they have been historically for their faith. But if your name is written in the book of life, you're not going to be deceived or you're not likely to be. Now, you could be if you if you let down your guard, you could be, in fact, deceived because we are warned that if we fail to continue fighting the good fight of faith, if we fail to continue to strive against sin and overcome our names, if already written in the book of life, may be blotted out. There is that possibility. If our names are written there, they could also be erased if we don't continue the fight of faith. As we read in Revelation 3 and verse 1, Revelation 3 and verse 1, to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, and then skipping down to verse 5, it says, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So the implication here is that if even those whose names are written there do not continue to overcome, that their names could be, in fact, blotted blotted out from the book of life. But if you continue in the faith, if you continue striving against sin, against Satan, against the deceptions and influences of the world, against your own flesh, then your name is not going to be blotted out from the book of life. So what we conclude from the scriptures I've read is that most people's names down through history have not, in fact, been written in that book of life. Fortunately for mankind, however, this is not the only age in which mankind will have a chance to have their names written in the book of life. Now, we saw earlier that God would have all men to be saved and God has, in fact, made provision to give every human being who has ever or who will ever live a fair and equitable chance to know God, to repent and to has, have his name written in the book of life. Jesus said in John 6, verse 45, John 6, verse 45, they shall all be taught 
by God. Every human being is going to be taught by God. After the period of the millennium, the thousand-year period following the return of Jesus Christ, there will be a general resurrection where the dead who were not resurrected before, most of them at least, will be resurrected at that time. And we read about this in Revelation 20 and verse 12. Revelation 20 and verse 12, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. Books meaning the Bible. The, the word Bible simply means books. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. The book of life is opened. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books in the Bible. So they will have a chance to be taught by God. The book of life will be opened. The billions who are resurrected at that time will have a full opportunity to learn the truth, to repent, and to follow God in faith. They'll have a chance to inherit God's kingdom, having their names written in the book of life. Finally, if we want to remain in the book of life, we're, not, we're warned not to pervert or distort the truth. As we read in Revelation 22 and verse 17, Revelation 22 and verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come, whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. God's not holding any, anyone back. It's, it's our own carnality generally and our own blindness that holds us back. Verse 18, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life. From the holy city and from the things which are written in this book, he who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Jesus.